All right, well, let's jump into it then, Debbie. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Oh, so Debbie Clement, I am. Uh, I have a big title, but I'm quite, actually quite a small person. VP of Talent for EMEA, uh, which is Europe right now. Uh, not really Middle East or Africa yet, but it's probably on the cards on the uh, M&A team. Um, but yeah, that's um, that's me. And I look. I have a team of. Oh, golly, what are we now? Four, almost going to become five in the talent team and a wider team of around about 20 in people operations covering the whole of Europe and talent enablement and development as well and total rewards. Very cool. And tell me a little bit about PAX8. So PAX8 is a cloud marketplace platform. So if you think in terms of what Amazon do, where you buy your washing powder, we do the same thing as Amazon, but we're all about cloud um, and software products. And we also do some services as well. So um, that is our model. Um, we're a technology company uh, that distributes cloud software products. Got it. And how big is the company now? So we are 1,800 people worldwide, um, about 800 people in America now, or maybe it's touching 1,000 now. And in Europe, we are almost at 400. And two years ago, we mm. were at, well, we started in a tiny office in Bristol in the UK with about 30 people um, and some global assignees from the US. And since that time, we've had three, four, are we on a fourth merger and acquisition of small companies? Um, but have been recruiting all the way through as well as integrating the smaller um, the smaller mergers. Um, really interesting model. Founders of all of those acquisitions are still within the business. I think that's what makes us quite unique and that's part of our people-centric DNA um, is that all the founders are still with the business. Um, and the matching that went on during that merger and acquisition process around culture and values was was a really neat um, neat fit there as well. They look as they look to that as much as the the product that's that they're acquiring or the services that they're acquiring or the customer base that they're acquiring. Really look for that customer centric, human centric match, um, and that's been I think that's been our real strength that's carried our growth. Yeah, that well, first of all, that's very impressive growth. And I have to imagine that a lot of M&A in such a short period of time, like you said, merging all the people and the cultures is definitely a challenge. How has that played out in your role specifically on the talent acquisition side? Really interesting when you knit together a bunch of hiring managers uh, who, to all intents and purposes, have come from an SME and all recruit in kind of different ways. And our talent acquisition process is very defined. Um, I think I'm known as the drill sergeant <laughs> internally um, because <laughs> we 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 built it. We, it was built literally when we were 12 people, um, when our business was 12 people. And we've actually managed to scale it to, um, to where we are in EMEA now at 400. Um, and I think... The hardest part of an in-house talent person's role is always getting your hiring managers engaged and your talent partners collaborating effectively. And we've done that around the system that we use. Um, we're currently on Comey. We also use Greenhouse in the US. Uh, but that's um, the secret to everyone's collaboration is how we've built the processes. And we started those, we built the processes from the outside in. So we looked at it from a candidate experience perspective and then built everything internally around that. 
and that stood us in real good stead. It's been challenging scaling that and automating the HRIS system that comes on board, um, the total rewards connection that, that comes into play when you hit a certain size as well. Really challenging there, but we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. Interesting. And so when you guys are acquiring these companies, I'm assuming some of them, maybe if not all of them, already have an ATS or an HRIS, uh, some tools in place that then you need to bring them on to your systems. Is that part of your role as well? Yeah, it's interesting because of the four that we've acquired, only one of them had an ATS, and that was really a, an HR system that had a little bit of a... Um, a screwy ATS on the back of it. It's never a purpose-built one, is it, when it's an HR system? Um, so uh, it, there wasn't too much to unpick on that, and we basically you know, move, moved everything over to our system. And then with the other three, it still amazes me about SMEs out there today is many of them are still on the old spreadsheet basis. And it's like, wow, people have systems for putting you know, milk in the fridge and in cookies in the jar, they have a system for reordering that. But when it comes to their recruitment processes, there's um, there's no system. Everything is disconnected. And my favorite word, discombobulated practices and activities <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> um, and no one really thinks end to end. Okay, that that interview, how does how does that go through from the talent partner to the hiring manager? How does he put icing on the cake in terms of deep qualification skills? How does that pop out into the candidate experience? What is the candidate feeling? What do we want them to feel at that stage? It's all of this need around every single activity. Um, and, <clears throat> and basically, so many companies, it just kind of grows and morphs into an ugly baby, doesn't it? And um, rarely do you get that opportunity to start from a green field and go, right, it's the 11 star Airbnb experience. What do we want the recruitment experience to look like? And that's, that's how we started ours really. I think that's great that when you bring these companies on in some ways, it's a, in some ways it's a bad thing. Obviously they don't have an ATS or a lot of structure around the recruiting, but in some ways it's also a really good thing because you have a clean slate to work from. And mm. you know, it probably makes it a little bit easier for you to integrate them into the existing systems and structure that you've already yeah. stood up. One of the things you mentioned was, a challenge, obviously, that all talent acquisition teams face around bringing all their hiring managers uh, together with the talent acquisition team and everybody getting on the same page and working together. Um, and that's especially a challenge when you acquire a company and you bring new hiring managers essentially into a brand new company for them. What have you done or what is your approach when you're bringing on a new company like that via M&A to really get those hiring managers bought into the way that you guys hire internally? So I can give you the ideal version and then the reality of sure. what actually happens. <laughs> so the ideal version is um, before they're even allowed to touch the system, it's like, let us tell you how it works. Here's how it's built. Did you know there's 160 different points of failure in the hiring system? And if you if you think about the kind of people that we're we're, we're kind of acquiring, most of them are kind of engineering mindsets. So, so they, we we try and say, okay, we know that you're an you're an engineer in your job, so your job is to lift up the hood and and understand what's going on underneath the hood. So we try and take that approach with them, and we say, right, here's how we've built the recruitment process. 160 different points of failure. 
um, we've exploded those. We took a year to analyze them. We broke them all down. We grouped them into five key areas, the profile, the process, the control, the brand, and the land. Um, and we have built our processes around inoculating every single step. So our, um, we call it a RACI, um, our entire recruitment process, we've got 53 separate work streams that go right the way from here's a hiring rec to here's, here's the 90 day hiring survey, quality of hire survey that goes out to hiring managers. So it's 53 stages and each of those stages has its own separate work stream. So they get an appreciation for, whoa, there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong in there. Um, and we tell them a story around, you're not just hiring to the job description. Here's the tools that we're working with. Here's our interview jotter that all of our talent acquisition partners use. This is the format. These are the interview notes that you get for every single person. This is the information that you should expect for, to see for every single person. And we're not just hiring for the job description, we are hiring the whole person. Because what we are building internally in our company is a community. We're not just finding employees, we're building a community and that community is the sticky glue that's gonna keep people with us when we hit those peaks and troughs of growing a company. Um, and it's those sticky relationships that, that really help that collaboration around the business. Um, and those, that's all the stuff that is baked into our recruitment process. Uh, and when you take them under the hood and get them to appreciate that and also connect it, their hiring success um, is, or their success is kind of directly downstream of their hiring success. When you make that personal connection to what they're doing in terms of hiring a person, then you find you get deeper deeper engagement, but it's still, for all of our hiring managers, I mean, probably 70% of them are in their first management role of their career. So then they don't have a huge amount of hiring experience. So it's a massive lift for them. Um, and giving them that confidence and giving them that partnership and letting them know you're not on your own. Um, and we're mutually accountable for this. It's not the talent partner's job to hire great people. It's everyone's job to hire great people. Getting that message across is, is super, super important. And hopefully we, we got, we get no off-platform hires. Every piece of activity that we do is on our ATS. There's no CVs and inboxes. It all goes through our ATS. I'm particularly proud of that. I'm particularly proud of the talent team and the hiring managers that we work with, that they, they actually adopt the processes. It's not perfect. Never yeah. is. That's yeah, no, it sounds like you about. guys are doing a great job. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it sounds like you guys are doing an amazing job. Um, and I think you bring up another important point, which is for managers that are maybe first time managers and first time hiring managers and going through the process. One of the things that it takes to get good at anything are repetitions, right? You need to do this. You need to uh -huh. follow the process and do it over and over again. And then it yeah. becomes somewhat of like, you know, muscle memory, right? Um, where you know yeah, exactly yeah. everything that needs to be done. But the challenge a lot of times with first time hiring managers is because they're not on the talent acquisition team, they might get one repetition now, but they might not be hiring for their team and for another yes. nine months. So in some ways yeah. you have to have this like consistent reinforcement to best practices with the team yeah. because there are so many, there could be such, you know, large gaps in between when they're getting those reps. Yeah. And I think um, because we are consistently using 
you know, the interview jotter that we use. So they get used to looking at certain, okay, what's this, what's this person's hobbies? Um, how do they learn? Because PAX 8 DNA is curiosity um, and learning velocity is super, super important to us. So we have, you know, drills, question drills around those areas that the hiring managers get used to picking up. Um, so that's, that's really, really, really powerful. I'm just trying to think of the other thing, the interview scorecard, for example. It sounds really boring and really HRE, doesn't it? The interview scorecard. Um, <laughs> but when you when you're doing your intake brief um, with your hiring manager, it's like, okay, let me make this simple for you. By the end of your interview, you will have read my notes. You'll have had your interview with your candidate. Now I'm going to give you a checklist to go through of what did you find? Did you find this? Did you find that? Did you find the other? And Oh, it's a star rating. It's not a Caesar up thumb or down thumb. And at the end of that, it pops out a little number that says this this is a 4.6 or this is a 3.6. Mm, 3.6 is not really good enough for us. We got we got to have 4.6 or above. Um, and they it's those little drills and um, support tools that give them the muscle practice around. Okay, I need to be looking at the seven major buckets of qualifying areas for this person. And um, um, the yeah, it's. I think I think it works well, but um, we we still got to make improvements. Yeah, well, you know, it sets them up for success, and it gives them a sense of purpose when they go into an interview. I think without some of that structure, when it's time for a hiring manager interview, a lot of times what you'll find at companies is they're putting together the questions they want to ask an hour before the meeting and they don't really have, you know, evaluation <laughs> criteria that they're specifically looking for throughout the interview and yep. filling out afterwards. And yep. then what you what you end up with is when you get back together as a committee with the hiring managers or the the, the panel that did, you know, an interview or multiple rounds of interviews, nobody can make a decision. And that's because there was no structure going into the process yeah. of, well, what are we actually looking for and what are we asking to look for those things? And then how are we evaluating candidates and what does, you know, good or bad or pass or fail or whatever you call it look like? Um, yeah. And yeah. so that's where you end up in this place of ambiguity where nobody can make a decision and then it just drags out the hiring process or you lose candidates because you can't get an offer out when you really should have. I think on um, our talent partners, I think, are so service centric um, and hiring hiring manager experienced focused around let's make it easy for them. <clears throat> Their time, that they never have enough time. Um, but if we pre-bake in the interview questions that we know they'll need based on the competencies that we've got in our job description. And now we've got things like AI to help us. It's like, okay, here's the job description. Here's the intake brief notes. Give me a selection of questions that I should ask at interview for this role. And boy, that's so powerful now because you can just cut and paste and pop those in there. And that's for a hiring manager that doesn't have time to just even think about it until 15 minutes before the interview. Um, that's, that's a real help for them. Uh, and I, I have that phrase, my goodness, T minus two to interview. Don't make that mistake, hiring managers, because that's just bad, bad practice. <laughs> They're all really, really good, our guys. I know, I know I'm the world's biggest nag on there, but they also know that if you don't do your evaluation post-interview uh, within the 15 minutes, and I am on your tail the next day. And if we're chasing and you want to put an offer out, 
we ain't doing that offer until you've done your evaluation. So we, we, we're pretty, um, we're pretty militant in our team, I think. We're very good natured. <laughs> well, us. that's what's needed, right? You need, you need that in order to scale yeah. a hiring process and, you do. um, you know, to keep everything running smoothly. And then, you know, over time you hope that hiring managers learn that, Hey, if I don't get this done in 15 minutes, someone's going to come knocking on my door, um, to do <laughs> exactly. it. And so then they just start getting it done. Um, autonomously. So you need, yeah. you need to build in that rigor. So I can appreciate that. Now, I just want to jump back to one thing real quick you mentioned, which I thought was really interesting because I've never heard of this before. You mentioned something like there are 160 points of failure in the hiring process and you guys actually mm-hmm. went through the work of mapping out what all of those points of failure are. Can you give me a little bit more insight on that? Yeah, so um, I actually did this piece of work when I was on a sabbatical um, before I joined Pax8 and then I built the, okay, the ideal process. And and this was really born out of when, and I cut my teeth in agency, so I felt the pain of losing a 15 or 40,000 pound fee when something went wrong. And uh, I, I, during my sabbatical, I was working for a whale conservation charity and we were we were looking at how hard volunteers would work um, for nothing, for no payment at all. And I was scratching my head, going, "How how how do we get people to work for free? And yet we get people, we pay them, you know, a sum of money, and 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 yet the hiring go, kind of goes wrong." So I literally took out a whole book of post-it notes and wrote down every single thing that went wrong in recruitment that I could remember over 25 years of um, both agency and in-house practice. And I looked at them all on the wall and it was, oh my goodness. Um, I stopped counting at 150 because I was like, okay, I've got enough. I don't need any more. It's really painful. It hurts just looking at all those mistakes that I've made over the, over the years. Um, and then I grouped them and and that's where our, our, our kind of process arch came from. Uh, the things that went, went wrong, you know, 60% of the upfront work that you do to go to market with a job description, that's where your, most of your failure points come from. You know, poor intake briefs, um, poor job descriptions, um, hiring managers don't know what they're looking for. You don't know how the role is measured. So many of those kind of areas. You, you haven't got the right job boards lined up. Um, you don't know which job boards to use. All of those things. And then the process. Okay. Uh, you don't have an interview room. Uh, you haven't you haven't got an ATS to support where people are in the process. All of that. So literally mapped that whole thing out and grouped them. And then we started to rebuild the process into an ATS against, right, what do we do at this phase to make sure that a candidate doesn't withdraw in the process um, after offer, for example. And it was all on how do we bring them to the point of white heat? How do we take the pain early and qualify them out where they're not meeting the criteria? What templates do we use? What do we send them at applicant stage? What do we send them before interview? Uh, what do we say to them in, in, the, in the interview? How many interviews do we do? All of that kind of stuff was mapped to the nth degree and then built into the applicant tracking system. And that's how we came up with what we do today. That's amazing. Was there anything that stood out or stands out to when you break this down for other people? Was there anything where people had like an aha moment where they're like, oh, I never thought of that as a point of failure? Is there anything that stands out in your mind? <laughs> 
Um, there's a lot. I guess there's 150 no. plus. So there's a lot that probably people were like, oh my gosh, no. I never thought of that. <laughs> oh, just so much stuff. Like, oh my, it's everything, Josh. Just so many things, isn't it? It's like, did we do the salary mapping right at the beginning? Did we advertise it right? Did we put the right words in the job advert? I mean, that, that's, that's kind of one thing. Job descriptions, job adverts, totally different documents. It's like, I use the analogy, if um, one is hot dead bird and the other one is Kentucky Fried Chicken, which one would you rather have? Um, <laughs> you know, which one do you want to eat? Uh, how do you want it to be marketed to you? That's the analogy really, isn't it? That's uh, hilarious. I like that analogy. I've never heard that as well. Well, I have to commend you for on a sabbatical, uh, putting together all of the pain that you felt <laughs> from the past on the agency side and mapping that all out. Normally people would, you know, take it easy, relax, try and not think about those stressful things, but you went ahead and uh, mapped all of the pain in the hiring process. So I have to commend you for oh, that. Yeah. Um, and I'm I love that you guys nurse, took Josh. the. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that I love the way that you approach it, right? Because it comes quite becomes quite uh, methodical, right? It's hey, here are all mm -hmm. the areas for friction or points of failure. The way we mm -hmm. build our hiring process is we account for all these things to remove as many points of failure and as and as much friction as possible. Is it realistic yeah. to knock out all 150 with the hiring process design? Probably not. Um, you know, in an ideal world, yes. But if you can, if you can, you know, knock out 80% of those, I mean, that's a huge yeah. step up because other employers aren't even thinking about it in that way. And I, and I think the cost of failure there, the cost of rework, for example, where, um, you know, something goes wrong, you haven't taken the intake brief in the right way, for example, um, what else have we got? Goodness, um, areas that we felt the pain on. Uh, we haven't pre-agreed what interview process you're following. So you're, you're building the interview process on the fly and then you lose candidates as a result. Um, that, that really hurts. Uh, gosh, so many different areas. It's, um, I love it because it is process engineering with humans who they've got a brain of their own, haven't they? So it's um, kind of a combination between Rubik's cubing and with human beings. And I, I don't know, I, I just adore the whole, like chasing the Holy Grail, isn't it? Trying to find the, the secret source yep. to not having a yeah, well, tire or I, And I think, look, what for you guys, your hiring process and the way that you built it becomes a competitive advantage. And then getting, that helps hiring managers get bought into it as well, right? Because all things equal about, you know, if you're going against another employer to, you know, try and hire the same type of employee, all things equal, comp benefits, everything, right? And from a candidate's perspective, yeah. let's just say all those things are equal, your process becomes your competitive advantage, the speed in which you move, the candidate experience in which you deliver, all those things become yeah. the advantage and get the odds to tilt in your favor. And so it sounds like Absolutely that's really what right. you guys have leaned into is process is our yeah. advantage. And if we can get hiring managers yeah. bought into that, we can help tie that to a better hiring outcome and then more success in their job because of that better hiring outcome that comes by way of this process. Yeah. And we see that time and time again. I mean, this week, for example, uh, I had a wonderful moment this week. Um, we hired somebody um, it was her first face-to-face -face interview that she'd had in five years. 
and she literally welled up in front of me and said, this has been the most amazing experience um, I have ever experienced in recruitment terms. She said, from the moment I applied for the job, and we get it wrong as well, Josh. I mean, you know, we are not perfect. Um, it pains me every time things go wrong and a candidate has a poor experience. But for this particular individual, it was an absolute joy. She was almost in tears. She just went, everyone's so friendly. The office is amazing. The way people have treated me during interview. Uh, and now she said to be receiving the offer from you. She said, I am just blown away. And, and I'm just so, so happy um, that I've, actually landed this job after and we did you know we put through three rounds of interviews so she went through the gamut with us um, and that's really that's a joy I love to see that when people you know conversely when we release people if they've had a good experience everyone's been courteous everyone's been encouraging it's been uh, they've allowed to be the their authentic selves in the interview you know we tell them not to wear a suit we just want you as the individual bring yourself, not not your interview self. Um, when we release them, they they come back. We've had, I sent some testimonials over today and people have been really grateful. You know, I've learned about myself in this. I've, you've given me something to go away with and think about. And, I, and you've helped me understand what it is I'm actually looking for because what I've seen in what you're offering today is, is where I want to, the kind of organization I want to work with. Um, and we've had, one lady this week, she's had four other offers on the table and she's held out for us because of the experience she's gone through. And that's, that's, that is a competitive advantage. Let's hope we can keep that. Amazing. Well, I think you're touching on another point that I wanted to discuss today. I was doing some homework before our discussion. I was on your LinkedIn. I saw one of your <laughs> posts. I think it was maybe from a month or two ago. And I'll read the quote mm -hmm. here. I wrote it down. Um, and you said he, rec uh, referencing your founder and CEO of PAX8, passionately reconfirmed his position and curiosity for building the human-centric business of the future. That's why I'm here and we can achieve this. And yeah. I love the post and I love the mentality that you are bringing to the hiring process. And we talked about a little bit um, uh, with this and leading up to this uh, podcast was really taking um, a high empathy approach um, from a culture standpoint at the company, but also in the hiring process. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So my ethos has always been, uh, and I think this is even more so since COVID, uh, the world has changed post-COVID. Um, a lot of the people in the marketplace or in, in the workplace today have seen their parents work for big dot-com companies. They've seen them be thrown over the fence. Um, they have a healthy cynicism for how long they stay with an organization, how well they're treated with an organization. And, and I take the view that we're not, we're not building employees. We are building that community to help people uh, come together. And John, I know, was always uh, on the same page with me um, as far as that's concerned, but he, he, forgive me, I'm losing my train of thought here. Um, he was basically saying that he didn't want to build a cookie cutter technology company that treats people the same as some companies have in the past. He wanted to be different. And that's one of the reasons a lot of people join us is they want, they don't just want to join a corporate organization. They want to join a corporate, a corporation that wants to be different 
from the dot-coms, the, the 1980s. We don't want a cookie cutter, that business model, if you like. So um, it was interesting. We were on quarterly business reviews recently, and one of our investors um, was there, and he spent a whole um, four days with us, which is kind of unusual when your, your board member and your investors spend that amount of time with you because um, they're seeing your dirty laundry, effectively, when you're in the, <laughs> the warts and all quarterly business reviews. So it's pretty brave. Uh, but he basically, um, at dinner one night, said uh, he was blown away while, what, about what he'd seen. But he said there are risks. A high empathy company also, because you take so much care of people and you try to do the right things, takes longer to release people where they're not working out. And there is a cost to that. So um, that, uh, that got us thinking really hard because we're a 10-year-old company now, but we've grown fast. So we've had a lot of startup mentality and now we're in the scale-up and prime time mentality, which means that we maybe can't afford to hire as many growers um, as we did before because if we're running at such a hot pace that we, we now need a level of experience coming into the business to keep pace and build things. And because we grow so fast, we break things before we've even kind of fully optimized them. So that's an interesting situation. But and again, uh, you know, I spent time with him uh, this last quarter and and I sat across the table from him and, and I went, so what do you think? How are we doing? Can we still scale this? Can we still keep that human centricity? And, um, and he still steely eyed, pointed his finger and went, you bet we can. We ain't losing it. We must that's keep awesome. our soul. So, yeah. yeah. And that's what that's, makes you guys who you are, right? And it sounds like yeah. you're weaving that throughout all aspects of the business. Um, mm -hmm. And again, going back to the way that you've structured your hiring process to be a competitive advantage, your culture and the way you treat people um, is a competitive advantage as well, right? So again, I think back yeah. to all those things where it's like all else being equal and uh, with other companies and with other employers, you as a business have to think about what makes you unique um, and mm -hmm. what are the things that you're doing to stand out and what are the things that you're doing to gain an advantage over those other you know employers when it can't just be about, well, we just keep lifting offers higher and higher or keep adding more benefits because there's budget and things to think about as well. And so it's, it's these things that you do with process or the way you treat people um, that really stand out in the eyes of people that are either on the team now or want to join the team. And I think a big part of that also is the way we articulate our purpose and our vision in the future. Because I, I don't know, so many companies seem to I don't know, not connect individuals' jobs to the big mission of what they're achieving um, and help them translate that. So, you know, in our case, it's like always, we're serving, you know, however many thousands of, um, of managed service providers who are serving end small businesses, you know, the scale of that is enormous. And what we're doing is we're giving we're putting up this platform that means millions of small businesses will be able to lift people out of poverty um, because of the technology that they're using through our platform. So, you know, that's, that's meaningful work. And I, I think that's being able to share that vision. Um, the technology roadmap that Scott's built is amazing. Um, you know, the original founders that are still with us, Rob, 
Rob Belgrave, for example, he was CEO of one of the acquired companies. He's now our global chief people officer. And that's a CEO at the heart of the people um, kind of unit. So, and that's quite rare. And it's, it was quite a brave move mm -hmm. for him, but it's really paying off because he's influencing the board around people are, you know, our future, not just a human resource, if you like, which many companies treat them as. I love it. Well, Debbie, you guys are doing some awesome stuff. I really appreciate the time. It's been great to learn more about everything going on at PAX 8. Um, couldn't be more impressed from what you've done oh, when you guys you. were, you know, 10 or 20 people and scaling it up to almost 2,000 people now today and um, still being able to stay true Crazy. to all the things that make the company unique along that journey. Every day have to work at it. Not perfect. Still, you know, make mistakes by any means, but you know, we try our hardest. Um, yeah. Let's hope we can keep doing that. Hey, but it's been great to be here. Thank you for the invite. Thanks.